This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Back of the Nest, The Palace Years. And this episode, we're going to be looking at the 2011 and 2012 season, uh, which was quite important for many reasons. Uh, Chris Hamblin is uh, otherwise engaged, so I will be your host this evening, Mike Scott. Back of the Nest, the Palace Years. I'm joined by... Patrick O'Connor. How you doing, Patrick? I'm all right, thank you. Good, good. And making his Palace Years debut, Cy Pizzi. How you doing? Yeah, good, thank you very much. Great, great to be here making my debut and reflecting on some excellent years of football. Yeah, well, yeah. And this this, this was quite a memorable year um, for a number of reasons, which we'll go into, not least the Man United game. Uh, before we get into it, though, got some corrections. Uh, so... We've done the first two episodes, they've been out for a few days, and thank you for everyone that's listened to them so far. If you haven't, um, go back and have a listen. We started with the 09-10 season, um, and we're going right the way up to the uh, 18-19 season with this with this series. I don't know how we're going to take it after this summer, but we wanted to do something over the summer, so... Uh, that's what we're doing. We're trying to make them sort of timeless so you can go back and listen whenever you want. Uh, Mikey, who runs Back of the Nest, uh, for the most part, is going to stick them all up on the website uh, at some point. I don't think he's done it yet, but by the time you listen to this, he might well have done. Um, so they'll all be up there. Otherwise, they're in our feed as normal. Uh, but in the 0910 episode, uh, Christopher Hamblin. Uh, referred to an Ambrose goal, um, a screamer against Aston Villa, uh, that he said Gabo Kirai let in. So uh, Steve Hodd uh, sent us a tweet and said, he sent a video across and said, definitely doesn't look like Gabo Kirai in goal to me. Smiley face with the little crying 
a tear emoji. Maybe get the facts right before you broadcast it in future. And then a little winky face with his tongue sticking out. Now, I've got to say, the uh, the emojis mark you down there, Steve. But uh, fair enough, good point. It was, in fact, Brad Friedel who let in that 37-yard Ambrose goal against Villa. So, uh, apologies there. Uh, and then the other thing from that episode, uh, Hambo asked the teaser of who Paul Eiffel went off to play for after Palace. Uh, now, Patrick, did you do your homework on this? Did you did you look up who it was? Yeah, so Wellington in Australia, wasn't it? Wellington Phoenix, indeed. He went on to play 106 games, 33 goals. So, whoever knew that, uh, well done to you. Um so that is the corrections, uh, and then in the ten eleven episodes, apologies, there was a there was an upload error, and it seemed that uh, some random chat was uploaded in the middle. So if you listen to something in the first few days and noticed it going a bit weird, I think that's been corrected. But yeah, so this one, hopefully there'll be no corrections, but we can't guarantee it because it's a long time ago. A lot of us uh, drunk quite a lot of the time, perhaps even still do, uh, and our memories are hazy. So do bring us up on anything and we will correct it in future episodes. So uh, the 11-12 season, um, obviously still in the championship. Um, We'll talk about who came in uh, for the start of the season. So we had uh, Yedinak end up coming in from a Turkish team who I'm going to attempt to pronounce, but probably can't do a very good job. Genle Berlici. So if someone wants to pick us up on how to pronounce that, that'd be excellent. So he came in, uh, obviously huge player, um, legendary in the club. It's actually been released by Villa as well um, before this uh, pod. So who knows where he's going to end up. Uh, Glenn Murray came from Brighton. Um, Johnny Parr came over from Ailsund. Ailsund. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Martin came in in the mid-season from Norwich. Uh, he didn't arrive, I think, until November. But uh, he did exceptionally well that season, uh, scoring seven goals. Um, and I think a lot of you remember him very fondly. Antonio Pedroza from uh, Chapas in Mexico. Uh, Johnny Williams up from the youth team as well. Um, and the other thing, about that season that will make you jog your memories is we had that beautiful Brazil away kit, the yellow kit um, that we beat United in. So that is the season that we're talking about. So it was an up and down season. Um, We ended up 17th, Uh, but it was a a really good start to the season. And in particular, we had an excellent League Cup run, which we will go into. Um, But first up, we, we played Peterborough. Um, and Sean Scannell put us 1-0 up. We ended up losing 2-1. And I'm going to pass to Cy Pizzi on this because he was living in Peterborough at the time, went to the game. I have some... Uh, thanks, Mike. I have some special memories of uh, that, that game and my time in Peterborough. So it, we, I had headed to the game, obviously living locally. It was, it was such a great ground, this sort of small, tight ground, and there was lots of excitement because this was really kind of, the for us, the first season that we'd rebuilt after administration and the great work and finishing in the league the season before and, and the, what we talked about in the previous pod. So it was with lots of optimism. And I said, we went, we went one nil up from Scannell looking really good. And, and Peterborough, Peterborough did look good at times, but really we dominated, but in true Palace style, we gave away two, 
two sort of uh, easy-ish goals in the second half and, and, and the Peterborough fans loved it and they were probably one of the most cockiest set fans I can remember. I still remember it today, how cocky they were. But no, it was, it was it was great to be there. And I'm just reflecting on some of the like the team that we had that day. So it was really kind of the foundation for uh, later seasons and our promotion with Spironi, with um, McCarthy. Ramage was there. And then we had obviously Murray. We had Zaha coming on, Pascano in, in the 70th minute. So it was a real, real positive start but the result, unfortunately, let us down at the end. But that wasn't the top memory of Peterborough. So I was living in a place. Uh, it was a, it was a shared sort of like flat accommodation. I was there for like two-ish years between sort of like 2010 and 2012. And about five years later, no more than that, about nine years later, I was watching two true crimes. And it turned out I was living two doors down from the, what was called the Peterborough Ditch Murderer. She was a lady called sort of, uh, Joanne Dennity, and she's in Dennehy, and she's in prison now for sort of mass murder, and she's the most dangerous Britain's ever woman. She was two doors down from me, and to be fair, she didn't kill anyone. I think when I was there, but it was pretty amusing when I when we worked that one out watching TV, and then uh, and I wondered why it was so cheap, like seventy five quid quid a month, all bills in. But I'm I'm pretty much lucky to be alive. I think after watching that, I've just googled a picture of her, and yes, you are very much uh, lucky to be alive. Um... Yeah, she is she is terrifying. And in fact, if you type Joanna D into Google, she's the first result. So obviously pretty legendary. Um yeah, interesting. I mean I I can I can, I I assume Peterborough was a nice easy going town. I have played a couple of gigs there and stuff, but didn't didn't realise that kind of stuff happened. I certainly didn't realise you got seventy five quid rent um in within the last decade. That is amazing. Um yeah, so I mean that that was a poor start, and we the, we then on went on to uh, get two home wins on the trot after that, and it was looking look, looking pretty decent, uh, and that included uh, the amazing win, two one win against Coventry, um, where we were one nil down uh, until the very last minute and ended up winning two one, um, and. I, there is a comment from Josh Josh Nolan. Uh, Sean Scannell and Jermaine Easter, commentary at home, scenes. That's all he put about the memory of that entire season. That was his number one memory. Um, so, Patrick, what's it, what do you remember about that game? Um, Scannell had really come on uh, that, that season for us. I remember the season before, obviously, he was a big part of, the, of a couple of seasons before the Sheffield Wednesday game. But just as that season started coming to his own, and Jermaine Easter, who was... Uh, I think underappreciated by a lot of Palace fans, he actually scored some quite important goals. And th- that game in particular was a standout game in the fact that, again, we were trailing at home. And the HF, I remember um, watching some highlights of that. And that's when the year, with the year right, actually, I think that they started putting out their own videos on YouTube about about them. You kind of saw the atmosphere kind of change and they focused on the or putting out the, the typhos and that kind of stuff. So it was it was an amazing comeback and something that you know wasn't really used as a Palace fan coming back that late in in this season and scoring a goal. So there was goals to win the game. So it was a it was a really important win. And as you said, that was put us on a little bit of a, a run there on the doggy. We ended up winning, I think, it was four matches in a row then. Yeah, well, obviously a, a very strong start to the season. I think it's just what, going back to what Sai said about the team. Um, somebody very kindly on Wikipedia put. Um, who the most amount of appearances was for each position for that season, which isn't there for the majority of the seasons when you go back and try and reminisce. So Spironi in goal with 44 appearances. Then you've got a, a back four of Nathaniel Klein, 
Paddy McCarthy, Anthony Gardner, Jonathan Parr, who will definitely come back to. Then you've got a midfield of Mille, uh, KG, Wilfred Zahar, Darren Ambrose, and then you've got Scannell and Moe in front of them. I mean, that is a decent side. And I mean, I, I look back at that pretty damn fondly. Um, I would say that this was the season that sort of started the roots to what we have now. I mean, what, go, go for it, sorry. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it was the real foundation of what came came the season and the season after that. And and I was, but for me, I always remember Williams came off off the bench that game, and he really transformed the game. It was one of Johnny's um, better games that season. Oh, was it? Was it that game? Just, I was trying to think which one it was. He, he looked like he looked like he um, was. He just bossed it from when he came on. So he and and it was just yeah, he he was brilliant. And and it was such a shame with the injuries because. You could tell his intelligence, his time on the ball. He had a couple of seconds more than everyone else every time he got the ball. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think he would have came back that game. But there was a real optimism and buzz in the ground. And and I really I really thought that season we, we, we could have do something special. But I think it was just the consistency that us down as we'll go on to sort of talk about. But yeah, great scene, Glenn. And I also want to add that um, you know, we, we will talk about reminisce about um the structure of our sides under people like Pulis and Allardyce, even now under Hodgson. And think about how what Dougie did. You mentioned the lineup just now, Mike, and having a very solid, uh, experienced centre halves in Gardner and Paddy McCarthy. You know, Paul was very, um, Paul and Klein were very good at right back. And you, you had KG and Mille back then, they were just getting together. But you'll see as seasons go on how great they were together. You had a young Zaha. Uh, side defense and a young Johnny Williams but it was such a structured team and I, I went back and watched a couple of uh, interviews that Dougie did and Dougie was very confident in how he set up his team he was oh he always said that you know he just believed in the team he he, he fed them confidence confidence Wilf especially talks very glowingly of Dougie how Dougie nurtured him and gave him that chance and I think that season again he played, played about 48 matches that year and it was just uh, interesting to see what Dougie had built and it's a real shame um that you know what he tried to build didn't continue but i just think that season in general he did a tremendous job of building and the squad really wasn't that deep but what he got out of that squad that year was very very uh impressive totally agree and i find it a little bit strange that he, he hasn't pursued management up to now really um it, it's it's an odd one um but i, th- I think we're still dealing with the the scars of of not having that deeper team. Certainly, when we get to the the promotion season, um, I think it, with the next episode, it is a great surprise that a team perhaps that did lack depth did manage to um, to get through the playoffs. Um, but if we if we carry on, we're into August now, um, late August, and this brings us to the point of the South London riots. And that had a, a big knock-on effect for the football, and it included a League Cup game against Crawley being delayed. So um, I assume that you two weren't living in South London at the time. Um, so yeah, obviously you weren't. Uh, but I was living in living in Sutton, um, which didn't have that much of the riots. I was working in Croydon working at Alders, who I'm sure some of you will know well. Um, and we had big links to Palace. Um, but it had a profound effect on everything. Um, and every day you got up and checked Twitter just to see where people were planning to riot the next day. And it was 
it was quite exhilarating to be honest um i was living in the high street in sutton so um you know there was some riots i remember the tesco below me getting getting its glass smashed and that kind of stuff um but it, it it put football in the background for a little bit um and it wasn't until the end of august that we ended up actually playing that game against crawley um and and knocking them out um which i was very happy about because my uncle is an enormous crawley fan like ridiculous like he'd go to their agms and stuff and stick his hand up and make pointless comments um i've been there stood in their stadium freeze my tits off in their weird terrible like wind tunnel of a, a stadium that they've got i'm not a particularly big fan um but yeah that's my abiding memories of, the, of that early season and i think football kind of took the um the back burner for me um and i certainly don't remember got here august the 27th um i watched it back murray scored his first goal for palace uh against blackpool um i don't know if you guys remember that yeah no i remember i remember that from that game well he he looked from 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 minute one he was one of those signings um murray a bit like tomkins from west ham where you think when you, as soon as you see them you think how have we managed to get this player and why have the team let him go? Because, and I know when we were on, on this pod, uh, I'll, I'll before, when we interviewed Dougie, he said that he had a bit of an attitude problem that he had to work with and, and sort of change him by not playing him, etc. But but he was he looked so good. His movement was great and, and he, he fitted in with the wingers really, really well. And I remember the Crawley game, it was when, you know, we had Zaha looked, looked like he was something special at that game. Obviously, we'd seen him before and, you know, the season before, and he looked great. But that game, he dominated. I know it was lower opposition, but but he was he was particularly good that game. And Murray just slotted in straight away. So we, I, I always thought new good things would come from him after after that first game, that first goal. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Obviously, towards the end of his time, that spell at Brighton, um, Murray was sort of known for not being able to put stuff away, um, and. We'll get to the FFS Murray stuff later. But in fact, he scored 54 goals in 118 appearances up to 2011 for Brighton, which is a hell of a scoring record. So he must have tailed off quite a lot at the end. Um, but I certainly was happy to get him. Um, and, you know, he, he definitely proved any doubt was wrong. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Excellent point. Uh, and then, obviously, got to the second round of the League Cup, knocked Wigan out, and as we go past forward, we'll see that the League Cup it was definitely our year. Uh, what sticks in my mind is playing Middlesbrough twice in a week at Selhurst in September. Um, I remember us losing in the league and being quite frustrated. Um, I didn't feel like we, we should have lost that game. But then couple of days later winning in the cup and and thinking I sod the league we're going to be fine um I don't think we're in a state to go up um but we could do with a cup run and cup runs are you know they they, they can be your cup of tea when you're in the championship and you don't feel like your side's quite ready to go up um those kind of things can really boost um really boost the fan base and I think Patrick's totally right when he talks about uh the HF that season because it's the first season I really remember them doing things and and watching videos back. They were they were on form with their flags. Um, 
they seem like they'd taken up a lot more of the Homesdale than I remember um, from previous seasons. So, did it feel like a did it feel like a watershed season to either of you boys? Um, for me, um, I would say yes, uh, and I'll name a couple of reasons why. One, you know, you started to see the, some of the younger players that we began to nurture, you know, come to fruition, Klein, Zaha and, and Williams. Uh, the crowd atmosphere changed around, like you just said, Mike. I thought the HF plays a bigger part. And we talk about today Fortress Sellers Park. But if you go back and look at our home record that season, uh, especially in the cup games, obviously because we would have got knocked out had we not won them, we did much better in the cup um, at home. At home, And I think that really helped us. So I think that... Um, Watershed is good. And again, if you look at the, the crux of our promotion squad uh, going forward, it was based on the fact that some of the buys that Dougie did the season before, you know, Jednak, KG, Murray, who we particularly said he went after. And if you guys watched the vi- you watch the video, but he actually mentions that he had to, he'd go to Brighton matches and get booed by the Brighton fans as he, as he was scouting Murray, knowing that Murray's contract was up and he'd be getting him on a free, but he had to kind of convince him to come to Palace. So, you know, the rivalry being as it was. So it was, I, I think it very much was a watershed uh, season for us, especially again with that huge cup run. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Patrick. And and, you, and when you're in those lower leagues, you know, the championship and lower, you look forward to the cup runs and they are highlights of the season. And that weekend game was a really special one because I had a lot of, and I know it was irrational, but I had a lot of hatred towards Wigan after the administration years and them stealing what I've said, stealing Moses away from us for a, what was a bit of a, a, a snippet price, really? Yeah, and great, great point, great point. I, that that I remember that now as well. I remember getting angry. That's it, and I remember he was so on that game. I remember it, he was on the bench, and so was Ben Watson, and who, who we had, like, who we loved a little bit more than than that. But so that that getting over them, and then obviously they both started. They were, they were both off the bench, and as I said, they, they weren't they weren't starting. But you just really wanted to beat Wigan. It had an irrational amount of importance that game, and I remember it was such a good feeling when we won, but. Yeah, it was a. It was weird to see him back. I think it was the first time he was back. Moses, I think that game. And I said it was a. It was. It was strange to see him. I mean, and let's not forget that they were sort of middle middle table Premier League team at the time as well. So we're talking a, a fairly decent upset. But Patrick's absolutely right. The the home form that season was exceptional uh, up until the end of the season, um, and the away form not so much. Um, so it was that kind of season where we, we, we coined the phrase Fortress Selhurst and to an extent we still, still try and cling to it even though it's flagrantly not true whatsoever these days. Um, but yeah, nice memories. Uh, and speaking of nice memories, uh, we then get to the Brighton 1 Palace 3 game uh, where we were 1-0 down. Uh, did either of you guys uh, watch it live? Do you remember, or did did you did you even go? So, no, yeah, so I didn't go to that game. Um, but obviously, and, it, and back then it was more difficult to get the games, wasn't it, on the streams? So, um, no, it was it was a great result, and that was the one where Dougie always says he's most proud of, isn't it, in terms of having the youth team on the pitch that day. And obviously, I think it was Zaha, didn't Zaha um, assist, and then. It was Zaha Williams and Scannell that day, and I think uh, Freeman often says that was one of his proudest moments. Palace manager having those three in a three-one win at the Annex. So it was Zaha Ambrose, and then it was the epic FFS Murray goal. That was that. So we were one nil down, um, and then Ambrose was was not 
was not on the pitch. I was subbed on with 10 minutes to go. Um, and we went from 1-0 down to 3-1 up. Um, and... It, yeah, that that was that 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 was the game that coined the FFS Murray goal when he scored the third. My memory of that game is that um, obviously I wasn't there because I was in America, but um, I subscribed back then to Palace Radio. That might have been there for a season actually, so I got to listen to that second half because I was working because they have a time difference. So I got home probably half time. We were already losing, and then surprisingly, I'm listening to the commentary and I realised that Ambrose hadn't started which I found quite strange. And then he comes on the 80th minute, scores the goal. Um, Zaha Deus then scores, and then Murray scores. And uh, it was really interesting to listen to the play-by-play. When you listen to Paris Radio, they're very, very biased. So the excitement in their voices was great. And again, obviously, with that being the rivalry, is a, you know, I kind of see that in my mind as a being a really epic match for that season. And then I went back later on, about a week later, I guess that video comes out on YouTube, the FFS Murray, and I just played it over and over and over again. I thought it was brilliant. It 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 probably was, but that and the the, the Man United games were the t- were the two that stick in my memory from that season. Yeah. And I remember going on to Homesdale.net the next day, and um, you know they they various screen prints of of angry angry Brighton fans talking about Murray. Um, and I think it was at that point until then I I, I was happy that he'd been signed, but. I hadn't really thought too much of it. Um, but at that point, he seemed to sort of skyrocket from, um, you know, perhaps useful to absolutely crucial. Um, and realising this is probably only his second goal. Um, but because of the fact that he'd shook off this kind of aura of not being able to score that he seemed to have developed from his at the end of his time at Brighton, um, it, it it felt like a bit of a sea change, um, and it it was a huge victory. There's no there's no question about it. You score three in the last ten minutes against anyone. That's amazing. Let alone um, against rivals as big as that. Um, and you know, I'd always grown up with Millwall being the team that I particularly wanted us to play, and that would be the first team that I'd I'd notice um, when the, when the games came out. Um, but Brighton, you know, it's always something. That you look for as well, um, so that 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 was a huge victory, um, and it it's you know it was all anyone chatted about in orders the next day. Um, you know, as I said, I've said in the last episode, everyone there was a Palace fan. That's all you talked about at breaks when you're having a fag or whatever. So um, absolutely huge, and I think that the next day sticks in my mind as much as that. Um, now a little bit later, speaking of Millwall, nil uh, nil draw at home. Which, from what I remember, we were absolutely robbed, and we should have won about four nil. Um, Murray missed the penalty, um, but I can't believe that they managed to rob us of a point of two points there because that that annoyed me immensely. Um, and all I can say is that it wasn't too many more times we actually got to play Millwall. So, you know, fair enough. Uh, but let's get to November now. Um, and probably the biggest game of the season, and uh, the one that everyone will remember, uh, Manchester United 1, Palace 2. Uh, so, sorry, talk through your memories of that game. That was one of the the highlights of the last, probably, oh, the last like, 10 years, at least, yeah, even with the Premier League promotion years and, and survival. That, that game 
we had a it felt like that's towards the end of that that month and, and the second half of the season our squad was megally depleted and Ambrose was on the bench if I remember he didn't start the game and remember we we, we put out what you know, for a lot of it was a felt like a, even a second string team for us and and to go there and win that game it was it was just immense and not only that to to actually deserve to win the game on the, you know on the day to want it more and, and to actually to be the better side overall it was just yeah it was excellent yeah that moment stands out for a few reasons first november 30th 2011 my son's 19th birthday he was away at university and we were just trying to text back and forth and he's i made him into a big palace fan so during that match we were texting back and forth and um I actually just couldn't, that result, just, I couldn't believe it. And I was lucky enough, because like I've told you guys before, you don't get a lot of matches over here live, but that game was live on television because that year a company, Fox, bought the right for the League Cup. So they, they televised a big match and they picked that game because they figured, you know, Paz would get slaughtered by United. So when I saw the lineup, I was a little concerned, um, you know, do we have a full strength side? I understood what Dougie was trying to do, obviously, because obviously we didn't have a, a big squad, but... I was okay with it, but I looked at United squad. I was like, well, they're not taking it that seriously. I mean, Sir Alex, you know, they did have a young Paul Pogba in their lineup. They had uh, Valencia played and pretty saw Park played. So they had a pretty decent side. And again, they were a Premier League side, so of course they're going to, you know, be favoured. But um, that goal by Ambrose, I mean, I he did something similar, you know, later on uh, against Villa. Sorry, not later on, but against Villa. Uh, previous season but that was an unbelievable goal and I and I and even today when I watch it back and watch it back again I cannot believe the power and the swerve in that shot and then the audacity to take it and then the funny thing is as someone mentioned I think it was Dougie mentioned they did it in training all the time which I find to be unbelievable that a player could hit a ball but again it's having seen it doing against Villa you know so well so brilliant game and then you know going through extra time and then Murray pops up and gets the you know set play free kick goal to, to win the match it was just incredible and then beat united and, and then get then get on to the semi-final of a, of a major cup was just unbelievable it was just a really really tremendous memory from our one i really will be hard for me to forget and i'm not having so I, obviously everyone's got loads of man united fans because they're everywhere that are friends but i'm not having I, I remember the argument i had with loads of them that was a weakened man united team when you look at those that started you had dimitar berbatov starting jisung park you had Valencia, you had Chris Morning, Johnny Evans. That that was a decent Man United team against you know our starting lineup where we had David Wright, Stuart O'Keefe, and, and you know players like that, and Jamie Easter up front starting the game. So it was miraculous, and it just showed you how good a tactician I think Dougie was. Obviously, the magic from Ambrose was amazing, but tactically, I think he managed the game really well. And I don't know if you remember in the last minute of the extra time. I think this is one of the things that sort of. Man United's interest in terms of Wilfred Zaha. He picked the ball up in his own area or, or close to our own area at the end of the game and he ran the length of the pitch in something like the final minute of extra time. I remember the commentators on the TV saying, well, you know, look at the kid, look at the kid, look how much energy he's got and power he's got and pace and trickery at that time of the game. It was just all around a special performance. And then, great point, Si. The thing about Dougie was if you watch again that YouTube uh on that season he was said we were down one nil and he said i didn't feel we were going to lose a match i felt confident we, we stuck to our game plan and everything and it worked and then the point about zaha is great because that's the match that got united interested in zaha because you can tell he was such a young 
again, same to my son. He's 19 back then. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's vibrant. He's attacking. He had showed no fear. He was going at United players and it was just brilliant. And you're right. I remember that run that he made. It was, it was a, a long Boston run at the end of the match. And he took, I think he took a wild shot one over the bar, but the point that he, that he, that he had the guts and the energy to do that was important. And again, that's, the, that's the reason why I think the United wanted to buy him in the first place. Spot on. Yeah. I was about to bring that up. Um, yeah, I remember watching it in Croydon. Um, and I don't think anyone in the bar thought that we'd lose when they did equalise of a penalty. Um, and I think justice was done, to be honest. Uh, live long in the memory. Um, and before we get on to the disappointment of the semis, uh, a few other things before uh, the end of the year. Barnsley scoring after seven seconds against us in a 2-1 loss. I vaguely remember that. I tried to block it out of my memory. Uh, and then almost a year to the day um, after the Millwall defeat that ended up in management changes that you could listen to in the last pod, uh, we actually ended up with an away win at Millwall, um, which I, I vaguely remember as well. Uh, but New Year's Eve, no one's sober, are they? Uh, let's be honest. So New Year's, we were ape um, and things were looking very rosy. Um, I'm not sure how much I remember thinking about the playoffs. I was definitely thinking more about the League Cup at that point. Um, so when we got knocked out of the FA Cup um, at Derby 1-0, I remember being a little bit frustrated, but not too bothered knowing that we had uh, a, a semi three days later. And obviously, Dougie put out a second team against Derby, so there was no great surprise. So talk us through, gentlemen. Um your memories of the two legs against Cardiff because I remember the first one thinking we were absolutely robbed to only get 1-0 win and the second one they were absolutely robbed to only get a 1-0 win. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, um, first leg again, um, there's a brilliant uh, YouTube uh, video that has focused totally on HF. If the camera points at them, I think they might have put up a promotional type thing and you hear them singing. So one of my memories is the crowd atmosphere was brilliant the whole match. Um, Anthony Gardner gets the goal, we're up 1-0. And um, I, I thought, you know, to be fair, we deserve to have that that league going into the uh Second, like I think maybe we could have gotten a goal or more to it. I felt a little more comfortable, but I wasn't overly concerned with Cardiff. The second leg, my memories are um, they were all over us for most of the match. And then Paddy gets that unfortunate second yellow for the red card. And at that point, I'm just hoping we get to um, extra time and then penalties. And I think it might have hit the, the 
crossbar in the post maybe four times during that match. I know Whitney probably hit a couple of times and uh, Miller probably hit the, the bar or the post. So getting the penalty kicks, I was I was just glad to get there. But when we got the penalty kicks, I was when we had I, we just really tired, and I had no confidence in anybody taking a kick. And the only one I remember of the penalty kicks, I I remember two in particular, Mila's penalty because who knew going forward he'd be such a great penalty kick taker, and he scored his very very well. And then Paz miss at the end, uh, gut wrenching. It really was. But again, um, it was tough. The, the two legs, as Mike you just said, it was. We were this close to getting to Wembley, and you, you know you can tell by what Dougie had done. Dougie planned this whole thing to get to the cup final, the way he put out the team for against Derby in the FA Cup, and just our league our league form be running up to it was very spotty. So it's a real shame. And I think the players they would have deserved that because Cardiff wasn't that good of a team. I mean, they ended up losing Liverpool in the final, but that was just a it would have been such a nice thing to get to a final year. But again, my memories uh, are basically those. Yeah, I, I was actually at the Derby game on the 1-0 defeat. And I just remember from start to finish, the, we were, as fans, we were awesome. We outsung the Derby fans. It was just, it was a crazy game. The atmosphere was absolutely brilliant. That, that game for, for a 1-0 loss to Derby with a second string team, it, it was still special. And then obviously the, the Cardiff first leg. If you look at a lot of the YouTube, YouTube clips of the HF, a lot of them come up from that original, from that Cardiff um, home game in, in in the cup, and I think that was one of their biggest, one of their earliest and biggest sort of um, banner events, and, and they really they really sort of outshone um, everyone on, on that game. They were awesome. And then, um, as a Palace fan, you get used to disappointing semis. I mean, I've had that many disappointing semis as a Palace fan and, and an England fan. <laughs> over, over I've got, I've got to stop you on the disappointing team. semis. Um... <laughs> yeah, I've got to be about that. Yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah I, mean, I remember the most disappointing one though wasn't this one it was the one where we was it we beat Michael Owens Liverpool 2-1 at Sellers Park and Clinton Morrison scored a few years before that and then we looked I think we got battered 5-0 over at Anfield we, 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 we lost 5-0 and uh, I, I was in the cop uh, and Kalinko got sent it off wasn't that close was it uh, Kalinko yeah, yeah. Kalinko got sent off Classic, classic days. So, but no, it was disappointing. And that was probably the worst penalty shootout from us, uh, you know, I've ever seen. I remember, as Patrick said, every single penalty, you had no confidence we were going to score. I think we, we were awful. But what a run, considering the size of our squad. And, um, you know, to get to there and, and, and the journey we had beating Wigan and beating United, it, it was still a special run. Yeah, I mean, agreed. So, it was actually uh, Sean Scannell, Jermaine Easter uh, and Johnny Parr that missed the penalties. Um, I remember that game well because I was in. I don't know why I, I was in the main stand, and I'm never in the main stand, so I, that sticks in my memory. Um, but I, I remember feeling that we were absolutely robbed. So when I watched the second game on the TV, I had an inevitable thought that we would be going out. Um, as often happens with the two teams that I follow, Palace and England, um, the times you think you are going to get through something, you inexplicably don't so uh obviously that was soul destroying um and the season took a nosedive from there starting with ashley barnes uh scoring to see brighton get a point to sell us when they didn't deserve it uh straight after that um that was very depressing and uh that's just one of a long list of ashley barnes depressing incidents that we can all reel off um we did actually go 10 games unbeaten after the semi-final, um, but with nothing, with a sort of feeling that things were going nowhere, uh, you know, after after that stress, 
Um, yes. It wasn't looking like we were going up and, and a few draws and that kind of thing. So cool. it wasn't, it, other than what, what I've put here to remember was a 4-0 win at Watford, against Watford um, where Chris Martin scored, oh, I'm not sure whether he scored a hat-trick or whether he scored two, I can't remember. Um, that game sticks in my memory, but otherwise um, it was a period sort of a bit after the, the Lord Mayor's show really. Um, and after that, a, a poor end to the season. Um, nine games without a win. Um, and it, it was just totally the fact that the, the side were, were drained. Um, you know, as both of my esteemed colleagues here have alluded to, uh, the squad wasn't very deep. Um, and Dougie has an interesting comment to say about how he thought that the depth of his squad and the League Cup run had a detrimental effect on the end of the season. Our problem's been getting into March, where we had eight games in one month with a squad that's not big enough, strong enough, and too many young kids, because of the influences of that cup, emotionally and physically drained. So yeah, the, the the season petered out. Essentially, we ended up 17th. Um, although, spoiler alert, if you listen to the next episode, uh, things went better pretty quickly. Um, but poetically, um, the season ended with a home defeat to Cardiff, um, who inflicted misery on us in the most part for the entire season due to their to their beatiness in the League Cup. I would like to say that um, at this point in the season was, um, I've got to give Dougie credit for a few things. One, like I said, the way he set the team and the confidence he gave a lot of players, I think, for a pretty uh, small squad was great. The cup run was great. And also, uh, I want to say that the rivalries, which I've always uh, focused in on, he did a great job. Because that season, we, we beat Brighton 3-1 away and drew 1-1 at home. Drew twice to West Ham, 2-2 and 0-0, and drew at home to Millwall and beat them 1-0 away. So we, we didn't lose a, a, rib, uh, a rivalry, a derby match. So from that standpoint, I want to add that as another, for me, another memorable part of that season. Great point. I, I remember we've had a debate in the past um, about whether you'd prefer to finish above a side or beat them in derbies. Um, and ideally, you want to do both, but... Um, I think Terence decided that he'd rather beat Brighton and Millwall, um, and I said I'd rather finish above them and, and brag afterwards. But um, you know, it's, it's, it, <laughs> ideally you'd do both, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, and the, the last thing I'd say on on discussion on the season is that Zahar scored in that last Cardiff game, and that was definitely signs of things to come. As 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 we talked about, he was in the shop window against Man United, and it wasn't too long before he went over there. Um, and had that 15 million transfer over to Man United. Yeah, and add to that, Mike, I didn't realise that after watching the, the video, he scored nine goals that season. He's 19 years old. So you talk about, we always talk about his end product, but nine goals has to be close to his best ever output as a as a goal scorer. So he actually could score goals when he started. I guess we just wanted to be more consistent because there are years when he scores, you know, four and five. But nine goals at 19 years old is an excellent output for a play in the championship. Oh, no, absolutely, Patrick. It, it, was an, it was an awesome season from him. And, you know, the thing is, United, I remember some of the, some of the um, 
press conferences, etc., before when when they signed him, and they said his his progress over the previous eighteen months had been rapid. And if you think of that season and the season after, he bossed that league. He absolutely yep. bossed the championship. It was it was it was kind of you know we sung the song. He's just too good for you. It was embarrassing to watch. There was you know men who were like ten years or ten twelve years older than him just just had no chance against him, and they just clattered him because that's all they could do. But it, you know that season was a real foundation for him, and next year he just shone even more and. It was a pleasure to watch him in that in that championship um, era because he was just so good. As it still is now, unless by the time you listen to this, he's at Arsenal, which I hope he is not. So, please no, <laughs> please, please. So, <clears throat> a bit of listener comment about the uh, about the season. Um, we we asked people their memories of that season mainly because we found our initial plan with this was to look up old tweets and and talk about them, but. It's very hard to look back for Facebook stuff that old, and Twitter was very much in its infancy until about two years after this. So um, we've asked people their memories. We'll start with Rob S, who said, "Whatever happened to Johnny Parr? What a left foot and a great haircut too." Agreed. So had a look. He went from Palace in 2014 to Ipswich, uh, played 41 times for them, um, and he's now at Strom's Godset. I'm sure I haven't said that right. He's played 83 times. Um, so, you know, he's still only 30 now. Um, I'm sure he's got a fair few years in him. And I don't doubt that his haircut is still exceptional. Um, Dean Hyatt. <clears throat> bit cheeky. Dougie could spot a player back then. Well, that is that is cheeky. Um, no, I, I tell you, Dougie, Dougie was... What a manager. And I think the season after was obviously with the longest unbeaten run that year. I won't spoil the next pod, but that season, you just I, I know I've eulogised him a bit here, but he was brilliant. And and he's, he, you know, some of those signings he made in some before then, you know, when we talked about them earlier, to bring in Jedinak, Murray, and then obviously later on, Boassi, you know, part, he was just, what, what? I mean, I know I am in love with Dougie, I'm not going to lie to you, but but what a manager. And that, and that season, he did a great job with the tools he had. Certainly did. Uh, when we get to Balassi, I will definitely be a happy man reminiscing about that. Uh, so, Rob Purcell asked uh, Johnny Williams' debut. So, uh, that was already alluded to. Did you say Did you say that was the Peterborough game? I, 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 think he, I think he came on that game where he started. Yeah, I think that, was his, that season was his full... Well, that, that that game was his debut. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, again, what a season he had. He looked a class above. Him and Wilf were, were genuinely a class above. Well, Rob, feel free to uh, challenge us on that if his memories are wrong. But that sounds uh, that sounds reasonable to me. Uh, Ryan Delahunty, uh, consecutive Tuesday night matches against Barnsley and Doncaster were probably the two worst games of football I've seen at Palace. And amazingly, we took four points. How we won against Doncaster, I'll never know. Now, I can't remember this whatsoever. So, sorry, fill us in. I, we always, all I remember from that time was we always struggled against Doncaster. It didn't matter how good we were or where we were in the league. Whenever we played Doncaster, we always struggled. And I, I don't know if it was the season before. I may be getting it completely after it. I may be completely wrong. But I think I don't know if it was in them that Damien Delaney got sent off for a sliding tackle the season afterwards. I can't remember if it, if, if I was accurate on that one. But we always struggled against Doncaster, and it was a dire game. Um, Ryan's right. I don't know how we 
got points out of that game, but we were absolutely awful. And Doncaster always had a knack of being able to beat us or play very well against us. Yeah, it seems that we actually beat Barnsley and drew with Doncaster 1-1. So we took, well, I guess it was four points, but he's right about consecutive uh, Tuesdays. It was a 1-0 uh, a uh, at home March 20th against Barnsley and we drew 1-1 the following Tuesday, March 27th against um, Doncaster. So for us, being dire, getting four points in that run is pretty decent. Well, your memory, Ryan, is exceptional. Fair enough. Uh, so, WH um, said, Alex Marrow, where is he now? So, looked him up. Alexander James Marrow, uh, actually only born in 1990, which really surprised me. So, he's still only 29, which is uh, depressing indeed. Um, the last time anyone made note of where he was, um, he was at AFC Files. So... Um, it looks as though his uh, professional career f- sort of petered out um, quite a lot, which is depressing. He, he only played a handful of games after Palace at various sides on loan at Preston, on loan at Fleetwood, Blackburn, Carlisle. So he stayed up in the northwest um, without pulling up any trees, um, which is a great shame. So um, if anyone has any more news on Alex Marrow, we will bring it up in future episodes. Um, yeah, Mike, real quick, um, on Marrow, I just, I don't remember seeing him play that much, but my memories of him are the following. I There was a lot of talk of him on the message boards, and the reason was he was a very versatile player. He could play midfield and play uh, centre-half, so people thought, oh, he'd be a great player for us. But unfortunately, I think you documented that he got a lot of injuries. He was injured with us. He never played. I think he had a really bad injury for us. It was it might have actually been a preseason match, then he tried to play through it and then he got then he could, couldn't get over the injury he, and then yeah he was right? he was really badly injured um yeah and i think that's what killed him but it's a shame because i i didn't again i didn't see him that often obviously but i did hear a lot of good things about him and it's a real shame he didn't you know get a chance to kind of because you just said he's only 29 years old back then he was uh you know 21 22 years old so he would have obviously been you know coming through the system so it's a shame he was hurt so often one of my memories from the season was um and, and a bit of the season afterwards was owen garvin at times, looked like a world beater. So he looked like he had games where he looked absolutely brilliant, and then games where he was atrocious. But but more memories than not of Owen Garvin were how he dominated games in the, from the midfield and looked really positive. And I think the, the season afterwards, when he scored a you know a couple of goals in one of the games right at the beginning. But he, he was really strange as a player because not a lot of people rated him. But I've got really fond memories of him. You know what? Thank you for that. Owen Garvin was an enigma. Um, I'm going to date myself now, and uh, people who are old as I am are going to remember. We had a player back in the 70s. Uh, oh, gosh. Irish player. Oh, no. Uh, Jerry Murphy. <laughs> Left footed, just like Garvin, and very much similar players. And uh, I never took the Jerry Murphy either. But something about those type of players, as skillful as they are, they they seem to go so slow. And I thought Garvin was one of the slowest players I've ever seen. And I actually saw him play live because I came over for the playoff final. And he actually had a pretty good game in, in, in the playoff final against Watford, but I just I just always felt he could give it so much more. And I was always told, oh, no, when we get to the Premier League, could be a better player because the game is slower, blah, blah, blah. And in the Premier League, he did absolutely nothing. So uh, he's one of those players where I really wanted to do well and I really wanted to root for, but I just found him to be very frustrating as a player going on. Oh, that's funny. I don't remember him being that slow. But, uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so, well, actually, the, the player of the season that season uh, was Johnny Parr. But we'll end on uh, a comment from Sam Heskiff from this very parish. Uh, who said that Anthony Gardner was robbed for player of the season that season. 
and I can't help but agree with him. Um, any any last memories, chaps? Just to say that that was I think that Cardiff game or a couple of games before was the, the last time we saw Sh- uh, Scanner win a Paddy shirt, and uh, yeah, he was a great seven for us, and it was a. Uh, great to see him and he really really kicked on over those years so he was a another good talent from the uh from the academy amen okay well we will be back with the uh 12-13 season uh which obviously and again no spoilers was quite the eventful season uh and you'll see some very familiar faces there uh so uh until then hope you've enjoyed this and thank you very much for listening of the nest the palace years it's the 90th minute all your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect order mcdelivery now on the mcdonald's app you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.